Hello, my name is Jason and welcome to DesignCast. It's a podcast where I interview a wide range of guests and ask the question, how do you design education? Why is this important? Students all learn differently and need varied teaching methods to be successful. It is more important now than ever to accommodate and personalize education for all students as much as possible. I use my 25 years of experience as an educator to ask questions and to learn about the exciting things people are doing to provide for all students and their unique perspectives. Each episode, I chat with guests from all over the world, from classroom teachers, authors, consultants, and beyond. We chat around a range of topics that we feel are important right now. Will you join me in this journey to learn and grow together? If it's your first time here, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to check it out. If you like this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, and download from your preferred podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by new listeners. Also, please use the hashtag DesignCast when discussing your thoughts and feedback on your favorite social media platform to connect with me. I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. So let's get on with the episode. On this episode of DesignCast, I had the incredible experience of talking to Diane Blackburn. Diane is an independent educational consultant working in international schools globally. She has many years of consultancy experience in pedagogical leadership, change management, and educator training solutions. Diane has worked extensively with large groups of schools in the Middle East and Europe, supporting their development of inclusive practice through the introduction of Universal Design for Learning, or UDL. Our conversation was really fun and enlightening. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Diane Blackburn. Welcome back to another episode of DesignCast, and I am just absolutely over the moon to have Diane Blackburn with me. Diane, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning here. How are you? I'm, I'm great. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm good. It's evening here, but that's totally fine. That's par for the course, and I just really appreciate you taking time to talk with me, Diane. And, and so, listen, Diane, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit and talk a little bit about your journey into what you're currently doing now? For sure, yeah. So... Hi everyone, my name is Diane Blackburn. Um, I'm based over in Yorkshire in the UK. I returned here after many years working abroad as an international educator. My background is art, so I was a visual arts teacher um, in my, my former life. Uh, it seems a long, long time ago now that I first started that journey, but yeah, I'm very, very passionate about inquiry-based learning and universal design for learning, inclusive practice. Um, so after many years of teaching and, and then coming out of teaching, um, post-Brexit, I have to say, post the Brexit decision, I returned back to my home in Yorkshire, um, started my own consultancy. So I'd, I'd been working for the IB, the International Baccalaureate, for many years. I was in the fortunate position that I was able to then start working predominantly as a contractor for the IB, but then also building my own consultancy. And um, that's developed over the last five or six years. And 
I'm super busy now, so I feel very, very blessed. Um, but but yeah, the reason I'm here today is to, to talk predominantly about universal design for learning and that passion for really inclusive practice um, has developed over the last six to eight years. Um, and I've been working with schools, really supporting them in developing their inclusive practice. And I discovered UDL as a, a wonderful way of not only ensuring that inclusive practice is it is easy to develop for all classroom teachers, but actually, I believe, causes less less work, but increased student agency. So for me, it's just it it's it's like this magic wand that's amazing, <laughs> amazing. I I agree with you, Diane. Yes, thank you uh, for that. And as a design teacher and you as an art teacher, I think we both understand the value of how actually how you're right how much easier it is for us to differentiate in such a way to okay. to really help students learn and inquire into things in their own way um and you're right you are busy it's, it's, it took me a while to, to book you and so i'm really happy that we finally had a chat to chat and so that's awesome so uh diane can you tell me a little bit more about like the, the principles or the concepts behind universal design for learning or udl yeah for sure so the way that I've approached this with schools is to really think about what their current practice is, what barriers they have within their learning environments, whether they are physical barriers, or ge geographical barriers within the school sort of constructs, um, you know, students moving from one place to another, or barriers within the learning. Sometimes the barriers can be really thinking about our own context as educators and that of our students. You know, we can we can actually place barriers there. So that's the, one of the first things that um, we explore um, when I'm when I'm working with schools is how we can identify those barriers and actually remove those because the majority of times it's really quite a quick fix to be able to remove those barriers. So that's the first piece. We then think about the variability of the learners that we have in our classrooms, and this of course can be age dependent, can be. Um, culturally de um, dependent, it can be um, from one day to another are changing external environments. So those variabilities that um, that students will present themselves with, but also uh, thinking about secondary students, I'm, I'm the most familiar with, and I know that um, an, a, a year eight or a year nine people can go away one day and come back a totally different human being. I think we've all experienced that in many cases. But then also thinking about our our, our current environment where sometimes we're still working in a blended way, blended learning, or we may have completely remote learning, um, or we're in the classroom or we're actually working with those students. So all of these variables being really able to consider those and really start, start to plan for what some of those variables are. So those are the two first pieces. And then what we start to do is look at how we can plan for those learners so that we can actually reach the most difficult to reach learners. Um, so that is learners that maybe have um, ADHD or are gifted and talented, as we would traditionally say. And um, those students are either either sides of our our scope of, of um, approaching learning learning and teaching practice, and actually thinking about how we can reach those learners. So that's the next thing. And then it's really starting to think about how we might currently differentiate, and what we're doing is differentiating for perhaps those those outliers but really what we can think about with UDL is trying to differentiate and create different practice for all learners within the classroom. I mean there's we talk about this mythical average and really if we've got an, a 180 degree 
protractor and we're looking at that protractor, maybe that top sliver in the middle might be the actual average um, that we're at. So, so most, most learners will have the opportunity through UDL to have choice over their learning and to be able to access the learning that appeals to them the most. You know, some students might be more comfortable with writing an essay, but actually we offered them the opportunity to to create a rap or a blog or, you know, all kinds of different things, then, you know, that's that's one way of allowing that student agency. So it's starting to build that practice um, as educators and to offer choice and to offer agency. And that takes some encouragement sometimes as well, because we all know our students, if they know that they can write an essay and, and get an okay grade with that, then that's the easiest path, then quite often they will choose that path. So. It's all about also building in those creative and critical thinking skills, building in those effective skills as well, so that students build confidence and have have agency and that uh, and can sort of connect with that creative thinking process. And those things all together, for me, are the, the guiding principles. If we can start to put some of those things into practice, then we're starting to think about a universally designed approach to learning within our classrooms. And I absolutely completely agree that you know, for I think most teachers understand differentiating for the the upper and the lower end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. but it's that in the middle, and that's those people that you know tend to be not ignored, but they've been fit into a one size fit all type mm -hmm. mindset and yeah. model. And I completely agree with you. Being able to at least offer the choice so the students do have a little bit of agency, what they can control, makes a huge difference. And I, I completely agree with you. And and wow. I think it's great the work that you're promoting and doing. Thank you so much for that. And and you mentioned going back to the UK and, and these kinds of things. What kind of work are you doing? And are you working in state public schools, private schools? What kind of situations are you working in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, okay. This is the, I, I could talk for hours about this. My I, I think I'm spinning about 20 different plates in the air at the moment. My workload is really diverse and I, I embrace and I really appreciate that. I feel so privileged to have all of these different different avenues of working. But I've got I've got some main areas. So within the UK, I work with the NYP community through IB World Schools, but also I'm working with state schools, specifically guiding them through some of the approaches to teaching that we that we have within the IB, but also outside the IB. So some schools I've been developing independently their approach to inclusive practice through UDL. This is one of the big pieces that I've I've been doing and we've in a very short time, we've had superb success. Those of you who ever worked in a UK context will know that we have this external assessment body that comes in called Ofsted and they kind of, they come in and swoop in and check everything out and then give the school a grade. And it's it's quite a terrifying experience for, for most educators because it's, you know, it's very, very judgmental. Two or three of the schools that I've been working with initially have now had their Ofsted inspections. And this is one of the things that sort of has really highlighted to me what a big difference UDL can make. They went into the schools and I had the head of school sort of texting me saying they're here and my goodness, they, they, they've noticed UDL. It's incredible wow. you know, um, because they're not, you know, they're generally not seeing this in most, most state schools. Um, yeah, it's not something that they would immediately recognize. But what they picked up on was that they could see that there was a diversity of learners within the classroom, that those learners were engaged all engaged 
in different ways with different materials and that the supports were there but the supports were there for all students so there were learning support specialists within the classroom but they were going from one student to another so for me that means that those students were being inclusive fully inclusive in mm. that classroom you know we, we couldn't tell which students were which and the, the Ofsted inspectors were kind of like so the where are you where are your inclusive students which are which are they we can't really see them <laughs> and they were blown away by it which which for me was the you know just a wonderful outcome because what that means for those students is just it's just incredible for their their experience within school their learning journey but also of course importantly their outcomes you know they're achieving much much higher than they were they're more engaged they're in school a lot more and we're talking about state schools so sometimes that's quite quite a challenge that's one example of one thing that i'm doing at the moment but um, i am working internationally so i think i'm at the conference in adelaide in march for the ib so i'm i'm traveling now which is wonderful getting to work face to face that's just absolutely lovely it just warms my heart to hear that because it evens the field a little bit you know and i know that we're not looking for we're looking for equal opportunity but more about equal access right and being able to work in a way so that all students like you said feel included and they start to feel and if and if the visitors can't see who those kids are even better, right? Because now they're included in another way in the community. And so, wow, that's that's pretty amazing, Diane. So, Diane, what got you so interested in UDL and, and working with UDL? What was the catalyst or have you always done it? You know, what what really sparked your interest and your passion with this? Yeah, I think, I think it stems from working internationally, working in schools that were international private schools that perhaps didn't have the capacity to be fully inclusive and were were more exclusive and actually starting to to support those schools in being able to open their doors more and include more learners, supporting EAL, you know, our language learners as well, which, you know, UDL is, is superb for, but also building in cultural competency as well. There's a huge piece around culture within UDL and being able to really embrace the diversity of our learners within our classrooms and, and having that as a, a completely inclusive approach. So that's where it stems from, that international experience that I had where I could see students were just being left by the wayside or, or sometimes even having to leave the school, you know, and, and this is, that was just so heartbreaking for me to, to see students who were thriving in some areas, not being able to then continue their education in a particular organisation with their friends. So, so that, that was a challenge for me as an educator to be able to, to cope with that. So this is where it came from initially. I had to reflect back a long way there, Jason. <laughs> a <laughs> That's long great. way back. That That's means you've been a champion from, yeah. for a long time. No, yeah, I, yeah. and you know, I've been in that same situation where I've seen just schools even saying that they'll be supportive and inclusive of students and then not actually following through. No. And it's just a way to market, you know, themselves, which um, it is what it is. I think probably there's people marketing don't really understand <laughs> probably sometimes yeah. what that what that entails. It, inquire, it does require support, you know, from the whole community, not just one or two people. But let's say a teacher is really, really wanting to bring UDL practices or tenants into their classroom. What's the fastest way they can start doing that? Okay, that's a really great question, Jason, because it's it's actually making those small changes. Right. Um, and we can do that really, really quite quickly. So if we think about several areas of our teaching practice, we can think about how we present content, the process that students will learn through, and then the product or the assessment. If we can offer choice in those, 
all of those four, or even if we just started small, start with assessment. So if you're a language and literature teacher and you always expect an essay, what are the other ways that you can allow students to present their work? Because really all we're looking for is is what, what the assessment criteria are. And quite often it doesn't need to be an essay. Now there's a, there is an argument, there is an argument that students will need to sit down and write an essay. And for sure, yes, they will. And they might need to do it under exam conditions, but hold on. Because what they can do by allowing students to use that creative thinking, that critical thinking, to make mistakes by trying different avenues, that actually builds in resilience, it builds in well-being, it builds in creative thinking. And they will then, when they do have to come and sit and write an essay in those exam conditions, be far better prepared because they've had this breadth of experience and they've built their confidence. So, I mean, that's that's just a, a quick way of doing it, is to think, how else can I allow my students, just say for assessment, how else can I let them to respond to an assessment and to choose a, a, a variety of ways? And teachers sort of say to me also, but that, that, that then means I've got to work in different ways. Well, if you don't really, because you're looking for the assessment, the same thing. That's right. it's just that's it's right. just the packaging that it's in. That's really. right. That's right. And there's a beautiful piece to be done around peers, peer assessment at, at that point. You know, getting your students to sit down and work and peer assess. You know, that's a, that's a superb way, and that will deepen their understanding too. And again, build that confidence, feeding back to each other. So that's my that's my advice. Start with that, and then think about perhaps building in content that's that's differentiated or that has a wider scope for your students <laughs> and, <laughs> and then also the process yeah there are many different ways to to reach um, reach a goal and i always say to to the educators that i work with you know i look to our, our guys in the early years and primary because they will offer udl sometimes in their classrooms without even realizing it not realizing students will this, come right. in and have choice and they can right. go and work at this table or this one or this one and that right. really is, in essence, UDL practice. Completely agree, 100%. And I, I think you've hit on something there. We, we've come from a very fortunate situation where we often work in a K-12 school or a continuum. We do have access to go and see what the people in the younger years are doing. And I don't know how many times teachers actually go do that. I think time is always, a, always an issue. But I think if we're getting supported by um, administration and, and, and the community... Why not do some skill sharing? Because I bet there's some things we could teach to the younger year folks too on how to do things a little <laughs> more efficiently or a little more creatively too. But you're absolutely right. They're great about doing that and don't even know that's what the what it's called sometimes. Yeah, and we assume that, that students will leave that sort of primary setting and move into a secondary setting and they can't work in that way anymore. But they can. They can, <laughs> absolutely. They can. And they should and they should, and they should be allowed to. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. that should be part of the process. No wonder they struggle so much when they move out of primary into secondary sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. just such a such a transition that's so hard for them yeah. going from a really agency filled situation to a more structured less choice spill which should be the opposite actually but okay. <laughs> it should it should there you go ideally yeah. <laughs> we're in agreement on that, that we're in agreement be. yeah so diane if people want to find out more about udl what's the what's some places they can go to find out more about it or to get some resources in that there's a couple of resources that i would recommend yep. okay um cas.org cas.org Yes. If you go onto that site, I would suggest you don't go right down into all of the guidelines because yeah. you'll get lost. 
It's no. a bit like a, you know, it's like going down a YouTube tunnel yeah. and you, you'd work about four <laughs> That's exactly right. But there you'll, you'll find some short videos on the overriding principles. There's also a great book there, which is, you can buy the book, but actually I found it free to download. And oh. I've dropped the link into the chat here. Oh, Jace, I great. Don't think at some point you'll be able to share it. But okay. it's um, UDL Theory and Practice. If you go into that link, you'll see that you click on Clusive and you can join Clusive. And from there, you can actually download that, that book. Okay. And I'll read it online in PDF format. The other one I would recommend is Universal Design for Learning in the Classroom, which is written by the guys who, who are, are behind CAST. Those are, there's so many resources out there. That's one of the things that I think can overcomplicate UDL. Yes. Um, which I do worry about because, you know, we start to think about this as a, a scientific process and there are all of these guidelines and different practices. But actually, if we take a step back and just think about we're creating opportunities for agency and we're offering different channels for students to select um, how they want to learn, how they want to create and how they want to be assessed. And, and that for me is the, the overarching principle. And then we can get sort of down and deep into the practice. But but those are the two resources I would recommend anyway, that site and and those two two journals, those two Fantastic. Books. I'll make sure to use put those in the show notes and have it where everyone can get thank access you. to that. Th no, thank you. I think that the CAS site is absolutely a treasure trove of information. The, the way they've laid it out, the graphics, all the different resources <laughs> are just so accessible and something you could print out and have right next to you and immediately put into action. At least that's that's my feeling. <laughs> but yeah. I think you have yeah. to kind of be ready, right? Like I think you have to be psychologically ready <laughs> to, to, to head down that path. But uh, yeah. Diane, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And so I have a little sidebar question for you, Diane, and, and um, I really appreciate your time. But if you could travel back in time and talk to your younger self, what would you tell yourself? Oh, now then. <laughs> what would I what would I tell myself? I think I just I don't know. I think it's 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 really all about just embracing the journey, isn't it? And I say this to teachers as well. When we're, we're doing workshops, you know that we're all geared towards the summative assessment, but it's the learning process. It's that learning process, isn't it? So I, I think just enjoy the ride because my goodness, when I look back now, I've had a great ride. You know, every ride has peaks and troughs, doesn't it? That's right. Um, in, in Spanish, we call it Montaño Russo, where we're going up and down, nice. up and down. Nice. But, you know, that's that's life. But enjoy the journey, yeah. And certainly as an educator, my last six years have been amazing. Mm. I've been so blessed and so privileged to, yep. to work with many educators around the world. So I, I feel very, very lucky. So, yeah, yeah. I'm going to carry on enjoying <laughs> the journey. Fantastic. Well, I feel lucky to have had a chance to connect with you again, Diane. Thank you so much. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, I have your contact information, but what's your preferred way of being contacted? Now, you can drop me an email. You okay, can drop me okay. And right. I'm on my emails, but okay. also on my website, you can just um, fill out the contact form and uh, Fantastic. contact me that way. Okay, yep. great. I'll Perfect. make sure that those are accessible through Thank the you. show notes. Thank you so much, Diane. Listen, I know we could talk all day and we could get into we strategies could. and examples and stuff all day long, but I want to be respectful of your time and and here we are in the holiday season. So thank you so much for your time. And you just have really made it very clear to me. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to, to, <laughs> to see you again and to hear, hear, hear from you again. And I look forward to chatting again in the, in the near future. Thank you.
I hope that you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. Again, I'm Jason. I am the creator and host and one-man band when it comes to this podcast. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. And please share it with your colleagues and friends and help me network with those folks who you think will benefit from listening to this podcast. If you own a company or you have connections where you would like to partner with me in this podcast, whether it be sponsorship or product reviews or any other possible services, please reach out to me. My contact information is in the show notes and I cannot wait to hear from you. I only do this because I love talking to people and I love sharing my passion with all the listeners. So if you are interested in possibly being a future guest, please reach out and get in touch. I can't wait to hear from you. I really want to hear about how this podcast and its guests are helping you become better or to enrich your lives. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be good to one another. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We'll see you on the next episode.